right. We're going to get started today. It's 931. I'm glad you're here. Others will gather. Let's get started with some prayer requests or praise reports. I know that we'll pray for your daughter, Jennifer. Continue to remember Sharon's daughter, Jennifer. Um, who else? Your niece, Liver. Uh, it runs in the family until it ran into Jesus. Right? Isn't that what they say? Uh-huh. That's right. That's exactly right. That's good. That's good. Yes, ma'am. When you say a lot, now I think we need to put context to that. How many pills a day did you take? <laughs> I don't even know what those things are, but I'm sure they're not good. Not in pain. Not Now, see? Now that is, see, as we talk about healing... And it wasn't. A, it didn't happen in a moment, did it, Jacqueline? It, and just continually seek. And sometimes the Lord gives you miracles, and sometimes He gives you management. See, sometimes He tells you what to do, and sometimes and management. How many of you know? If you can get under management, that's sometimes a bigger miracle. <laughs> you know that's because that's a prolonged miracle. Anybody else? That's great. Thank you. Yes. Right. Yes. So you're kind of learning some different ropes. That's great. And you guys need to get a nonprofit. You got to do that. Yeah. You got to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Right. Right. It's it's just trying to help a person at their point of need. Right. Yes. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's great. We praise God for that. Anybody else? Let's go. Let's pray. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for, God, the miracles. We just thank you right now, Lord God, for touching, God, so many people in this body. I pray, Father, that you would continue to release miracles, signs, and wonders, Lord. 
We know, God, that nothing is too difficult for you, Lord God, and it's on the faith of what you've done in the past, God, of knowing that you change not, God. We bring every other petition to you, Lord God. We don't beg, Lord God, but we come knowing that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. And we pray, Lord God, for those children that are away from you. We pray, Lord God, for the needs in the body, Lord God. I pray, Father, that as you've healed in the past you will heal again as you've saved in the past you will save again God there is no one outside of your reach Lord and I pray today God that you would open our ears to hear your word Lord God let us not be of those who draw back Lord but let us be of those who go on to the preserving Lord God of our own faith and our own lives Lord God for the kingdom of God we thank you for it today in Jesus name amen, amen. all right I'm going to read one scripture to you out of Thessalonians, probably one you're familiar with. If not, you will become familiar with it. We're going to park here and work on every aspect that we can. And I've lost it. First Thessalonians 5:23. Here it is. Now may the God of peace himself make you completely holy. That's H-O-L-Y, completely holy. And may your whole, W-H-O-L-E, spirit and soul and body be kept complete, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. May the God of peace, I think that some of the translations, who has a translation that says, may the God of peace sanctify you holy. Does anybody have that? Sanctify you holy. Yeah, through and sanctify. And so we know that sanctify means set apart right? To be set apart, to be brought into completion for the Lord's service. Now, what are the parts that the Lord, that Paul is praying here, what, is his, what are the parts he specifically indicates? Spirit, your whole body. He says your whole body. Okay. Spirit, soul, and body. Your Okay, so what are you? I mean, we did, what are you made up of? You're all. You are your spirit, soul, and body. Now, I mean, it's all, you don't have three people inside of you, but you're comprised of the three components that you are. I mean, how many of y'all know you're a body? That one's not hard, is it? Because you, you, you can touch it, and we can see it. That's what you present to the world. Now, your soul has been defined by so many as the mind, your will, your emotions, your senses, your conscience. As we talked about last week, your conscience has two parts. What are your two parts of your conscience? Your, your conscience, which is what you're aware of, and your subconscious, in, yeah, your memories are even in your subconscious. Most of your memories are in your subconscious. Isn't that interesting to think about? That you remember 95 to 98% of everything that's ever happened to you in the entirety of your life? No, you don't, probably. I mean, no, but that's, isn't, that, isn't that interesting that we know that about the brain? That, but, you know, it's, it's so powerful that that much. That you're like a container and that 90 to... Eight, 95% of everything that has ever happened to you is stored in perfect clarity in this place called your subconscious. You're triggered. We have this thing we call it triggered. Sometimes it's deja vu. Now, you may think, well, that's kind of scary, and it, it can be, because what the fun? Okay, why? What is the function of your subconscious? It has to have. A, if it stores that much information, what is the function of it? To protect you. If your subconscious then builds information to protect you and maintain what a word that's called homeostasis. How many of you ever heard that word? You're in homeostasis. It means everything is 
A-okay. Yeah, well, Copa said a little bit, but A-okay. Now, what determines A-okay? Well, there's some medically A-okay is determined by, now, what do you run at all the time, your temperature? All of, you know, and that's where some of us, some people don't. There's some variation in that, but a normal body temperature is 98.6. <clears throat> now, if you're sick, you might have a fever because your body temperature raises to deal with an infection. It creates a hotter environment to kill an infection. You know, we always... In, the, the logic is, is that if you, have effect, if you have a fever that you need to take some aspirin to get rid of it. Well, that's not smart. A low, now, if you have too high of a fever and it's going to lead you to a seizure, please get your fever down. But if you have 100, <clears throat> 100.1, keep that sucker. All it, lay down and, be a, and have a fever. It's just killing your infection. Isn't that cool? Our body knows what to do. And so when, so your subconscious is a part of that. Creating, it tells you, it regulates your breathing. How many of you always have to think, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in? That would be so annoying, wouldn't it? Blink, blink, breathe in, breathe out, blink, blink. Oh, my gosh. I know, yeah. But so we have, so our subconscious is our friend because it does some of these good things. But your subconscious, now it's pretty neutral. It's a pretty neutral environment. Your subconscious creates what is normal. But see, what's normal to me and what's normal to you and what's normal to you may be different, and that's dependent upon all of this stuff that's happened in your past creates this normal homeostasis. See, not just your breathing and your body temperature and all of these things. Homeostasis is like a boundary for your whole life. Emotionally tells you what's normal. Tells you everything. Intellectually tells you all these comfort. It's a comfort zone, if you will. And so you step inside. All of us have that comfort zone that's called, our, it's created by our subconscious, and our subconscious is because of our stored memories, all the things that have happened to us, and it creates, for protection of ourself, it creates these boundaries that tell us that's normal, that's normal, that's normal, that's normal. Now, how many of you believe that everything that your subconscious has created as your boundaries, calling it normal, normal is actually healthy? Ah, now there we've just found the problem, haven't we? If I have boundaries in my life that are normal to me and create comfort zones, but they're not normal to health, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, then I have to try and move these boundaries, don't I? But here's what happens. When I step against that boundary, my subconscious throws me into a fever. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you feel uncomfortable. And you feel like, you feel like you're like, now I'm, I, you know what I'm talking about. You feel odd. You feel uncomfortable. You feel, yeah, you're at it. You're like, I don't like this person. I don't like this situation. I don't want to be here. I don't, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, and so what's it pushing you? Get away from that person. Get away from that circumstance. Get away from that thought. Get away from that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so it gets you right back to your comfort zone. Oh, homeostasis. Ah. I nearly had to change. See, that's how it's you have this subconscious doing this all the time, right? Now, it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's how that we are made. 
So then the, when the Bible says in Romans that I beseech you, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Paul talking to the church at Rome, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what is my body comprised of? So it's my body, it's soul, and spirit. So what parts of me are to be a living sacrifice? Yes. Are my emotional comfort zones to be a living sacrifice? Yeah. Is, is, my, is, is any other area of my life outside the reach of God's word and his changing power? Is God concerned with my comfort? <laughs> Some of you say, yeah. we have different perspectives. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's like, y'all are smoking something. <laughs> okay, wait a second. So we have different, we have, that's good. Now, I think, I think that God is somewhat concerned with our comfort zones, right? But is he, I'll say it this way, is he willing to reconcile himself to our comfort zones? That would be God. Yes. Right. We, we, well, well that's, the, that's the baby eagle, isn't it? The baby eagle, the mother comes and stirs the nest because as long as the baby eagle is in the nest, it's just an eagle by name and never an eagle. I mean, it's got all the equipment it needs, but it never actually learns how to fly without the discomfort of the... Yeah, and, and being forced out of homeostasis because there's a new homeostasis you know that's the there's a new arena and so that's what Paul present you make your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service I just love that reasonable now what is reasonable about making your whole self a living sacrifice to God What's reasonable about it? Not <laughs> I think it's reasonable because we are a sacrifice who gets to live. You do. See what I mean? We're a living sacrifice. You see the what's an oxymoron there? Sacrifice is dead, right? But you're a living sacrifice. So what Paul is, he's being so creative there. And he's using the oxymoron, you're a living sacrifice. In other words, Christ's death made you alive. So that you get to present yourself. How many lambs ever presented themselves to be a sacrifice? Just one that I know of. The Lamb of God. So they were, they were not willing sacrifices, were they? But then we, because we're alive, get to be, stay alive, we become a living sacrifice. So in Paul's way of thinking, it was just reasonable. It wasn't extraordinary. I love the thought of the rich young ruler whenever he came to Jesus and Jesus said, he said, what do I lack? You know, no, Jesus said, you lack one thing. What? What do I lack? He said, Sell all you have. And it, what it says before that, it says, because Jesus loved him. He looked at him and he said, sell all you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And what had happened? He went away very sorrowful. Why did he go away sorrowful? Because he had much. He did, because Jesus asked him, have you kept all the commandments? He said, absolutely. He didn't even know his own heart, did he? And so Jesus pointed right to, he, he had covetousness. He had another God before 
He didn't think he had another God until Jesus just put his finger on the God and exposed it. And he was unwilling to sell everything because he saw the value in everything he had as a greater value than following Jesus. Because if we follow that story, if we follow that story, what's amazing about that story is that he said, he told the disciples then, he said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for, an, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now, I know the teaching we've all heard, it became popular in 1900. Of the eye of the needle was a little gate in the city gate. How many of you have heard that teaching? And a camel had to get down and be unloaded and had to crawl through. The only problem with that teaching is that's not true. It was cool teaching. I looked and looked, and it's like, yeah, that's just one of those things that was made. What, did, what was Jesus saying? A camel, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. What did he just say? He said it's impossible. It's impossible for a man who trusts in wealth to be saved. Because, see, in the Hebrew way of thinking, a rich man was a blessed man, and a blessed man was a righteous man. Therefore, a man who was rich was righteous and blessed and good with God. Right. Exactly. So he was used to the, that wealth. And so what he said was, that won't work. And then Peter said, ah, oh, who can be saved? And he said, with God it's impossible, just like a camel going through the eye of a needle. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible, even getting rich people into heaven. But he goes on and said, and then the disciples said, Lord, we sold everything and followed you. What about us? They're always concerned about themselves. As, I mean, we're the same way. And so... He said, he told them, he said, <clears throat> that's good. He said, no one forsaking lands and home and family and all these things. He said, they will in this life receive a hundredfold more. And in the life to come, eternal life. So it's like the Lord said this. He said, okay. He said, money will kill you. That's what he, it's kind of what he said. He said, money will kill you. Because he said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Money will kill you. But when I kill you, I'll give you more of the stuff that will kill you. Yeah. Is that not what he just said? If, if we've changed those boundaries at all. If we've actually made ourselves a living sacrifice now it doesn't matter you'll know how to be you'll know how to be content whether you're poor or rich it'll be the exact same salvation and you'll have the exact same joy see that's what the Lord's looking for he's like I'm looking for people that'll stay saved whenever it's going bad I'm looking for people who have joy Whenever circumstance is not producing joy. I'm looking for people who are not circumstantially driven. I'm looking for people who know how to abase and know how to abound. I'm looking for people who know, who know how to be victorious in lack and be victorious in abundance. How? Because those are the people who have become a living sacrifice. Who have allowed God to completely change the structure, sanctify them, separate them in their body. How many of you believe your body belongs to the Lord? Then stop putting crap in it and on it. Tim, gosh. <laughs> Stop writing all over your walls. <laughs> it's just a two-year-old with a crayon. I'm just kidding. See, I can do this to Tim. Some of you are like. 
She's talking about tattoos. But that's right. How many of you know our body's important, isn't it? It's not the most important, but it's important. And you know, why is it important? Here's a part of the reason it's important, because how many of you know that you don't have a ministry here on earth if you don't have a healthy body? I mean, because, I mean, it's easy for us to pick on Tim. Yeah, why is it? But it's, but then, right, he's on the front row. It's easy for us to pick on him. But you know what? How many of us, we, we bring a lot more peril to our body than a tattoo artist could with what we put in this hole right here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he likes pie too. <laughs> But, you know, so that it doesn't matter. See, right? That's what I'm talking about. But what if we could see ourselves as completely belonging to the Lord? That what we put, and that's not, those are not the things that save you, are they? But those, but if my body belongs to the Lord, then I, I have to consider, I mean, it would be, it would be crazy for me to think that I'm going to, praying that the Lord would, I believe for long life and prosperity as I'm killing myself actively all day long with what I choose to eat. I want, yeah, not taking care of your body. And I know that's, I'm not, I'm not picking on you because, I mean, I have to wear this just like you do. I like sweets too. And I hate exercise. Anybody like me? You know what I'm saying? So it's not, I'm not saying this is easy. <laughs> But see, this is part of it. But see, how many of us would be willing to say, Lord, I want you to take ownership of every part of my life. And the body's easy to pick on, too. But then we get into the area of our soul. I mean, the area of our imagination. Most people, children use their imagination for creativity mostly, don't they? And they can create some scenarios that'll scare them, the monster under their bed, different things like that. But how many of you know that when, how many of you no longer use your imagination? Y'all all use it, don't you? I find that most adults use their imagination for destruction. You're mad, anxiety, what are you doing with it when you're anxious? You're imagining the worst case scenario. How many of you would just be honest enough to say that the majority of the employment of your imagination is for evil and not good? That's terrible. That's terrible. We're all terrible. Let's go home. No. <laughs> no, it's true, though, right? I think a lot of it, we have, to, we have to stop and take that assessment. Because, see, part of it is in our subconscious areas of our mind is telling us that's normal. See, it's just normal to, those are pathways of thought. And so you're constantly musing on, it's normal for you. It's normal for a person who does it because it's easy to do. That's how you know it's normal for you, is it's easy for you to do. What's easy for you to do? What, who, what I heard somebody say? What? That's is. Because what you practice the most is the most easy for you to do. And it's easy for you to do because you have created an agreement between your subconscious and your conscious. And y'all are working together in harmony. Because anytime you consciously make a decision to operate against your subconscious, what happens? Right. It's like, okay, today, say, today, turn over a new leaf right now and say, you will not eat any more sugar from this day forward. All you will do. <laughs> uh, he just dropped me a look that almost scared me. Yeah. <laughs> you see, <laughs> see, you're like, no. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, every comfort zone in the house was rattled. I know. Great example. Great. Right. But is there, is, is it possible, Letha, 
for you to completely develop your left hand over your right one and make it a new dominant hand. Or make it as proficient as your right hand. Is that possible? It is possible. But it's going to... Now we have right there. Right there we have. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You do what's natural to you because what's natural is comfortable, but it does not mean that what's natural to you is what's holy. You cut, keeps cutting his fingers off, too. He's, a, he's, he's rough on his body. Yes. You can. So much that now you've become more versed with both. Yes, that's right. It wasn't it wasn't a luxury. That's right. I know. He's like, <laughs> he wants to. But see, that's a, great, that's a great illustration. Yes. No, but what you're saying by retraining our minds, and we have to retrain our minds to the word of God. And that's, that's it. And that retrains our spirit, retrains our soul. Right? right. So what happens is when you're born again, when you are born again, what part of you is born again? Right. Because when you're born again, as one preacher said, if you were overweight when you were born again, You'll still be overweight afterwards. <laughs> That's right. And if you were, and your emotions are not necessarily born again, because all, now you have to understand, emotional comfort, physical comfort, all those comfort zones are established in your subconscious, and your subconscious has been established through what? Your heritage, your history, and your habits. And so what we're going to have to do is we are going to have to, once we are born again, we are going to have to, from our spirit, our born-again spirit, that's the part of us, 2 Corinthians says, that we looked at last week, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Wait a second. What's passed? Oh, wait. When you said the sinner's prayer, you became born again, did you go from being a brunette to a blonde? Not unless you did something. You know what I mean? Did you change your, did you become, did you go from being an African American to a Jew? You're still the same. Did you go from being an Irishman to a Jew? Did you? Wait, oh, he thinks he did. Now, wait a minute. Okay, let's, let's talk about this. It's interesting. So you're saying you were grafted into a new, okay, wait, wait just a second. But. Were you grafted into um, a an, were you grafted in naturally, or were you grafted in supernaturally? Do you did the, did you get a um, Israeli passport? No, I didn't get Yeah, so you didn't, right? But the way you were grafted in is you were grafted in supernaturally. So again, you're born of spirit. So you have a new spiritual identity, but you still are in an old package. I just jedi him, you know. <laughs> so that's... <clears throat> So that's interesting, though. But see, in the same way, but see, in the same way, if you could identify yourself that quick naturally, you wanted to. But see, you're still dealing in the natural. You know, it's it's actually it's too easy for me to prove it's not true. I mean, what's your last name? It doesn't say Stein anywhere in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I can I can't say that naturally because I can trace you back to where you belong. But what I do know is that according to faith, you've been grafted in to a new identity. But that new identity is alive in your born-again spirit. And your born-again spirit now is within this old package. Dealing in an 
an old, old left-handed model or right-handed, whatever the case may be. And now, for this moment, I, I have, I look in one mirror and I see a reflection. How many of you stood in front of a mirror this morning and got ready? I, I mean, I think probably everybody did. Judging from what I'm looking at, you probably did. Some of you, I'm... <laughs> Some of you, I don't know, but we do. But how many of you know that, you, that, re, that you've never actually seen yourself? Imagine that we lived in a world, because we're going to use our imagination for something other than bad stuff. Imagine that we lived in the world where there was no such thing as a reflection. How would you know what you look like? Someone would have to describe you. And as I looked at you, what would I ultimately be seeing? And I would be looking at myself, wouldn't I? As I looked at Nikki here, if I'd never seen myself, I would only assume I look like her. Right? Because I could feel, I have a nose. I could feel my nose and I could see her, so I assume, I would only assume my nose looks exactly like hers. Right. You can't see your you can't see your face. How would you know your image? How would I know what my color my eye my eye color was? And I would have to trust. What color are your eyes, Nikki? Okay, you work. Brown. Right? Because mine are blue too. If you look, if I look at you and I say, "Oh, that's my eyes are brown," and you would say, "Yeah, you'd say no," I'd say, "No, your my eyes are brown." <laughs> and you might say, and you might say, and then what? You might look look at me and say, "Well, my eyes are blue." No, no, your eyes are brown. See what I mean? I would have, there's a reflection there. And the only thing I would be able to see is what I see in you. And I would, what I see in you, I would superimpose on myself because that's all I would see. And see, that's what we do. We look, see, we have, we just look at other people and we look and we think that's who we are. That's why when Jesus came, it says in John that it says in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light is not, it's light is aha. Light is reflection. Light is illumination. So when we see the life of Jesus, we are for the first time seeing humanity as it really is. We're looking at the reflection that we have been, we've been supposed to see, but instead all we have is distortion. So he becomes that reflection. Now the problem is, is when you looked in a mirror this morning, you have, bec- you have learned to trust what you see, haven't you? How many of you this morning got in an argument with your mirror? You stupid lying mirror. No, you trusted it so much that you used that mirror as a guide. I did. I put on my face with my mirror. I used that reflection as a guide to fix my hair, to to make adjustments toward me. The Bible says in James that the man who looks into the perfect law of liberty, being the gospel of Jesus, Jesus is the perfect law of liberty. The man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and goes off and behaves differently than what he just saw is like a man who looks at himself in a natural mirror and forgets what... I mean, could you imagine this morning if I looked into a mirror and then I went out and got on all fours and started wagging my tail and begging for treats? (laughs) You know, you're like, that's not what you saw this morning. Yeah, that's right. It's true. So what, that's what, what, the, what James is saying is he's saying, so you and me, when we look at God, 
So when I look into the Bible, and it says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When it says that I cannot walk in sin, I do not practice sin because I'm born of God. That's what I'm doing is I'm trusting this reflection that it is now me. And I, my spirit is communing with spirit, which by, Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So when I look into the word and it shows me who I am by the spirit of God, I no longer have an anger problem. I don't have a lust problem. I don't have an eating problem. I don't have a self-discipline problem, do I? What I have when I walk away and have those things, I don't trust the reflection I saw. And so when he says it, I say, this is who I am. And what happens is no matter what my heritage, my history that formed my subconscious, that's why all these people, we have such a victim mentality in the world. They're, they were raised bad. They had bad things. And, I, and I, I understand. I understand people who've come from abusive situations. I get it. I get it. I sympathize. I empathize. I, I think it's terrible. The only problem is, is I can't change that. And so I either have to leave you in that place, and you're, I go, I listen to you, and you tell me all the abuse that happened to you, and I go, Wow, that sucks. And then I have to look at you and I have to say, well, just do the best you can because with a subconscious like that, you're screwed. <laughs> Welcome to Hope Church. You see what I'm saying? But that's what so many people are doing, right? I'm like... But instead, I hear, what you, I hear the things that have happened. I go, that's truly terrible. I empathize. I hate that. I hate that. I can't change the past. But what I can tell you is when you become born again by your spirit. See, many of you, you are born again. Probably all of you. But you've never actually taken the spiritual rebirth and brought it into your solical region. You've never actually done the hard work of taking a subconscious that has these hard boundaries of comfort and actually been able to do anything against an old comfort zone. Right, and here's the, here's the thing. I'm, you've all heard of this. You just probably don't know the name. It's called the Pareto Principle. How many have ever heard of that? The 80-20 rule. You have, okay, some of you have. 80, do you know that 20% of what you do every day yields 80% of the outcome of your life? So the 20% of what you do every day. So if you take your whole life as a pie chart, right? And you just section off one little area here, and it's the 20%. The 20% of your productivity is what sponsors and yields 80% of your outcome. That's true in industry. It's true for individuals. It's true across the board. You're like, well, wow, that's terrible. It's awesome. That tells me that I've only got to nail 20% output to, to actually yield 80% benefit. But it also tells me this, is that if I'm looking at the 80 in your life, and it's, <laughs> yeah, that's a, theo that's a theological term. <laughs> I can look, and you're like, don't judge me. I don't, I don't have to. It's obvious. You know it, don't you? How do you know when you go to the grocery store, why did you, do you just, how many of you just walk into the fruit department and just go, I don't want to judge. <laughs> you don't do it. How many of you are like, I am not paying that much for apples. And you know what? I don't want Granny Smith. I don't like them. 
I like, I like envy apples, the big ones. Those are good. They're expensive. So when I buy one, it's going home with me. I chose the one. Do y'all call me judgy? So when we look at a person's life and we see the fruit, right. the Bible says you'll know them by their fruits. I'm just looking at the 80% you're showing me. But what that tells me is the 20% you're doing, the, the top 20% of your life, your priority zone of the 20% that you choose to do first, is in the area that supports here. All the yuck. See, because that top, 80, that top 20% of your life is what is actually underwriting the 80% that I see. So I can tell by what I'm looking at what your priorities are. Because priorities are like skyscrapers. They're easy to see from a long way off. And they don't have to say a word. They speak for themselves. And so that's what we're looking at. So then I know, so what am I telling you today? I have told you time and time and time again that this book right here, this spirit-written book, this breath book, this life book, is a book that by faith, now you could just read it and not apply faith to it, and it wouldn't do anything in your life. But when I read it and I believe what it says is the new truth about me, then it goes into the areas of my subconscious and it begins to go comfort zone, comfort zone. Now, at first, you're like, well, that's too easy, Andrea. I may have to challenge those comfort. I will. I have, how many, I have had to be uncomfortable a lot in my life. I mean, I know that when I was called to preach, I did not want to preach. I didn't want to. Not because I was shy. Like some people say, well, I was shy and I don't like public speaking and things. You know why I didn't want to preach? I just didn't want to. Mm, I didn't want to be bothered. A little bit of me too. I really didn't. I didn't really want to mess with people and their messes, and have the and be subject to all of their stupidity. That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, that, to hear myself say it, I'm like, yuck, that's terrible. But I just didn't. And you know what else? You know, the main, here's the main reason I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to be submitted to God. I didn't want to be submitted to God. I didn't want to. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. Have anybody out here? Probably all of us if we're, if we're, if we're just... And so, but then I came to the point to where I could no longer be obedient to God and continue. It was like, you know, a fork in the road. You're either going to go the way of Andrea or you're going to submit. And the Lord knew I was going to submit because he's, he's running the show all along. So I'm like, Lord, I will. I'll preach. I'll do. He gets me to the place to where that's all I want to do. Let's make a deal. I'll, I will, I won't obey. I'll sac. Yeah, I'll, I'll obey and I'll sac. I won't do all those things. That's truth, and that's the truth. There's always an There's always a boss. And so, what finally came to the place, and then now, was there a place that I was outside of my comfort zone? Yeah, just because then you have to. I had to stand up on a platform. As a woman, I don't know if y'all know that, I, I'm a woman, and not everybody receives that. And so I had to stand up there, and I had to, in faith, take all of my comfort zones, and I had to challenge them. And I didn't want to, because how many of you know it feels uncomfortable to be uncomfortable? Amazing. And so what I had to do is, I started out just with Mike, and I, would, I, I taught for years, but I led the services with him. And every time I had to get up to preach, this is the first thing. I took the word because the word said one thing about me. I either believe what the word says about me or I believe what heritage, history, and habits say about me. 
See, this is where, this is where rubber meets the road. And so I had to sit there, and before, because it's my time in the service, I'm fixing to take that microphone. And what I would say every single time was, I would bring the reflection of the word into my life, and I would say, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues. And I would say, I am not wicked. I do not flee. I am righteous, therefore I am bold. And then I had to do what boldness does. I had to go take the microphone and I had to believe that the report of the Lord was more powerful than the report of anything from my past, anything from my subconscious, anything anywhere else. And I had to purposely say, any comfort zone has to be undone today. So I didn't apply the word to my audience. I applied the word to myself. And then I was able to project the word in the circumstance. And so what I did is I, went, I did battle. And now when I get up, that's been years ago, years and years. I don't have to say that scripture anymore. But you know what people say about me? Over. The thing that people say about me more than over and over and over again, they say, you are so bold. You know why I'm bold? Because I challenged, every, I am that now. I don't struggle to be bold anymore. I am bold because bold is my new normal. I would have, it would be more uncomfortable for me to not be bold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, so see, the old comfort zones are, are removed. That old normal is not normal to you anymore, is it? This, guys, I'm telling you, this is how you change your life. Yes. Yes. Come here and read it in the microphone. So the person, the person who ever is going to listen to this, they're going to wonder what this blank place is in the tape. So just read that aloud. I'm going to look at sorry. This, this is the end of what she's talking about. It's Song of Solomon in the Passion Bible, uh-huh. Chapter 8. Verse 7, rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods would be unable to quench the burning fire. Wait a second. Within you, everything will be consumed until nothing, it will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire. Until it won't even seem like a sacrifice anymore. We're still thinking that we're sacrificing everything. But there is a day coming, saints, that this fire will consume all those things. And it won't be a sacrifice. It'll be our life, our joy, our love. Awesome. So that's the point right there. That was the Passion Translation. And that was Song of Solomon, if I'm not, 8 and 9, 8, 7. Song of Solomon 8, 7, and that's the Passion Translation. See, that is where it finally gets to in your life. I've told you that, that discipline becomes desire. And that what's happening is you are changing. See, because your subconscious, it, if you, it's only work whenever you're working against what your normal is. Does that make sense? But when you reshape what's normal... You create a new normal, a new homeostasis, and you won't have to work anymore. The Bible calls that process the renewing of your mind. That you may be not conformed to the patterns of this world. Conforming is is saying, I'm a victim, I was raised a victim, I will always be a victim, and I will always have to cope with my victimhood. I am not a victim. I am so victorious. I cannot believe that the rest of the world doesn't see how victorious I am. 
Do you see what I mean by that? I, I mean, I don't sense, I don't feel any victimization in my life. But you're saying, how is that possible? Because I, whose report will you believe? I believe the report of the Lord. Now you're saying, did it just happen overnight? No, I had to work the leaven into the dough. I had to work it in until it became the new part of me. And every behavior that was associated with victimization or old mindsets or defeatism or whatever it may be, an old behavior, I had to say, that's not true. And I had to take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to what the Bible said. That process is called the renewing of your mind. And it's in that process you can create a new victorious life in Christ that will invade the area of your mind, your will, your emotions, and even into the realm of your body. I mean, is that not amazing? So this is not, this is not a dead book. And so when I have to beg people to read the Bible, I know they don't have a revelation of the power of the Word of God. I either know they don't have that revelation or they are not submitted to the power of God. They are still in rebellion. They still want to live their life their way. And so if you're not submitted to the power, of you're not submitted to God, you're still trying to add God while you maintain the throne, this is never going to work. Yeah, try that. Try that. Like you're going to use him. Right. You, he won't negotiate. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Yes. Nothing bad. <laughs> now, we understand. It's just funny. Yeah, go ahead. You, you, every time you do that, you dishonor his name. And see, here's the thing. The first commandment is do not take the, you shall have no other gods before. Number one, we just begun. God must be first. Number two is the idol rule. Those great. Okay, so you shall have no other gods before me. And that you do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? To take the Lord's name in vain, I don't know if y'all realize this, it's not a cuss word. Now, I don't suggest that you go around using God's name as a curse word. That would not be smart either. But to not take the Lord's name in vain is not to call yourself a follower of God and then behave in a way that does not represent God. Do not, because, do not be, don't call yourself a representative of God and then act like a heathen, as she said. <laughs> that is, that's so, that's when you, when you carry his name and then you shame his name by your actions, you take his name in vain. And so that's the, that's the vanity of taking his name. I want to close with this one scripture right here. We have to go. And we'll, we'll pick up here. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Ecclesiastes 10 and 7. The fact of the matter is, is that our carnal nature, our, our old way of our left-handedness, or right-handed, you're all right ever. I'll say, I'm right, so our, our right-handedness, is so over is so much our master but it's a it's a it's a slave and we are being we are being carried around by an old way of behaving 
instead of looking into the mirror and allowing the the royalty of who we are in Christ to be the one leading. And so we'll continue to talk about this. You're dismissed. Thank you. Thank you for all your comments. So we're learning hermeneutics. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, so like it's, it's just, it's just super cool. You know? But yeah. so there was, um, they give you a lot of scripture in there, but they don't, they don't write it out, so they'll put like, they put Genesis, and and and, and they'll put like Genesis ten or whatever, mm-hmm. or Acts ten in, mm-hmm. in, in, in parentheses. So you have to go and look, look it up. Read it, yeah. You know what I mean? So, and some of them it's there, but um, the uh, the sacrifice. Yeah. And when he said that, it just brought me back to that, and 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 you know, and it's about two things. Mm-hmm. So when we when we when I first started. Have you had an old 